So tonight we are continuing on in our series for the evening service during this uh, fall season, and we are looking at some of the questions that were asked of Jesus during his earthly ministry, during that three-year stretch that he walked openly in public ministry. There were many questions that were asked of him. We are looking at a few of those on our Sunday evening times together. So tonight's question, I think is one of the most significant questions that was asked of Jesus during his time here on earth. It's a question that I believe all of our hearts have asked at some point over the past year, over the past several months, over the past several weeks, or even the past 24 hours, or even the past 30 minutes since we have been here gathered this evening. It's a question that we often ask of the Lord as we are so prone to evaluate our circumstances and situation in light of what appears to be other people's circumstances and situations. The question that we will look at tonight is this, Lord, what about him? Or Lord, what about her? Or even Lord, what about them? And my hope tonight is that we will have a better understanding of when it is that we are most tempted to ask that question of others. And my hope also is that we will know where in the world to take that temptation when we do feel it arising in our hearts. Because if you are a human and you are here tonight, that question will come. It comes for all of us. It came for the men and women walking with Jesus during his earthly ministry. It comes for us here in the 21st century. And this very question is the one that we will be looking at tonight, and it is found in John chapter 21. So you can go ahead and turn there to John's gospel, the very last chapter in John 21. And as you turn there, I want to share with you what I hope our main point will be this evening. Our main point this evening is this. When we are tempted to evaluate our lot in life in comparison to other people, look to Jesus. So when we are tempted to evaluate our lot in life, our circumstances in life, in comparison to other people, use that as a prompting, as a reminder to look to the person of Jesus. So as we turn here to uh, John chapter 21, you will notice, as I just mentioned, this is the last chapter of John's gospel. And so now, so now up to this point, there have been two things that John has primarily been concerned with. And so the first of those two things is the most important idea, truth, reality that John has been trying to communicate to his readers, to his audience. So John's overarching purpose throughout his gospel is to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is in fact the son of God. He is the promised Messiah. You do not have to look anywhere else to find who it is that God has promised from the beginning of his creation up until the day when Christ came to earth. Jesus is the Messiah, is John's primary and main point throughout the gospel. The second major point of John's gospel is to show how Jesus himself ensured the continuation of Jesus's very own mission through his disciples, through his followers, through the church of Jesus Christ. It's not a new mission, it's just a continuation of Jesus's very mission that he is able to carry out through his people as we look to him and as he empowers us and as he empowers his followers there in the gospel of John. And so these two things seem to be wrapped up together nicely in John chapter 20. 
In John chapter 20, we have a resurrected Jesus appearing, appearing to Mary Magdalene and the disciples. He shows them the scars in his hands and his feet and in his side. He tells them that, hey, the same man that you saw crucified is now risen from the dead, defeating the power of sin and of death. And he says to them here in uh, John chapter 20, verse 19, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you the continuation of this incredible work and ministry that Jesus himself began. And then in verses 30 and 31 of that same chapter, what better way can you end your gospel than by saying this? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What an incredible place for John to have ended his gospel. But he didn't. John kept writing for some reason that God himself only knows he kept writing. And he kept writing to include another scene from the life of our good friend, the apostle Peter. And I, for one, praise God that John didn't stop writing at the end of John chapter 20. And we'll see why here in a moment that I am so grateful he included this scene from Peter's life. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times and pridefully told Jesus that he would lay down his life for him before he ever considered abandoning Jesus. The same Peter who told Jesus those things and yet denied him three times before the rooster crowed the next morning. And in this chapter, in chapter 21, we get to see a couple things with this very Peter. We see Peter being restored back to gospel ministry within the church community. And we get to see Peter's response to that restoration that I think is a little surprising in light of all that Christ has done up to this point, which we'll look at here in a moment. So Jesus here is restoring Peter back to ministry in the last chapter of John's gospel. So leading up to uh, John chapter 21, verse 21, which is where we find our question this evening, Peter and his disciples were out fishing at the beginning of the chapter. But Jesus, because he always, 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 always pursues God's children, goes out to Peter and these disciples who are out on the boat fishing. He goes out to them, he performs another miracle because that's what Jesus does. And Peter responded, because he's Peter, by throwing himself in the water and going out to shore while the rest of the guys try to pull all the fish back up onto the boat. So as he paddled ashore, Peter meets him and cooks everyone a meal. And that's where things pick up here in uh, verse 15 of John chapter 21. So let's start reading there together as we head into verse 21 where we find our question this evening. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. It, real quick aside here, stretch out your hands in the ancient world refers to crucifixion. He's telling Peter, in essence, Peter, you will be crucified in the end. 
He says, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death, crucifixion, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Peter, follow me, follow me. And a couple things to notice here before we um, make some observations. Notice here a couple things. Jesus refers to Peter, not as Peter, but as Simon. There's an intimacy there. He knows him as Simon and he knows him as Peter. Simon Peter, he talks to him intimately as his savior. Simon, do you love me? Notice also that Peter, who denied Jesus three times, Jesus now gives Peter the opportunity three times to do what? To say, hey, Peter, you're gonna abandon me again? Peter, you're gonna leave me hanging again? Peter, you're gonna reject me again in front of other people out of fear of man? No. No, because Jesus knows that was just a symptom of the ultimate motivator that he was trying to point Peter towards and us towards. He said to him three times, and he gave Peter an opportunity three times to answer the question, do you love me? Do you love me? And notice also Jesus gave Peter an opportunity to compare himself to others. Do you love me more than these? And Peter, by God's grace, just said, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. Peter, you can see some humility growing in him that he didn't say, yes, Lord, I love you. I love you more than these. All of the others, all of the disciples, I love you more than these. God was beginning to humble him. And so here we have this sweet scene of restoration where Jesus is telling Peter, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Peter, you who failed me so horribly, so horribly in one of my greatest hours of need, I'm now restoring you back to ministry to take care of my church, to feed and tend to my sheep, this beautiful, sweet, tender scene of restoration. And so at this point, what would you expect Peter here to say? When then Jesus says, all right, Peter, now follow me. You would expect Peter to say, Lord Jesus, after everything you just did for me, after the grace you just showed me again, of course, Anything you say that you want me to do, anything that you want me to, any lot that you want to give me to live out the call of the gospel in my life, Lord, I will do it. Of course I'll do it, Lord. But, I mean, it, you know, it's Peter. And I praise God for Peter. <laughs> because it's true of Peter and it's true of us that right after Jesus says to him, to Peter, follow me, the next line talks about Peter doing what? In verse 20, we see Peter, after Jesus says, follow me, turning around, taking his eyes off Jesus and looking horizontally to another person and asking him the question that we'll look at tonight. Peter, in this moment, had his eyes so fixed on the earthly lot in ministry that Jesus had given him, this painful, difficult death that Peter was eventually going to have to face, It was not a very glorious one, at least from earthly eyes. And Peter heard Jesus share that with him. And then he immediately thought, okay, well, yeah, thanks for letting me know, Jesus. And now let's see what he says here and does in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, here's our question, Lord, what about this man? What's going to happen with him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And Jesus again says to Peter, you follow me. 
So he repeats the follow me, but this time the you in the original language is emphatic. Peter, don't worry about him. I'm not talking about him. I'm not talking about John. I'm not talking about the other disciples and apostles. I'm telling you, you follow me with the circumstances and lot that I have given you in life. Peter, follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But instead he said this, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? What is that to you? What about him? What about her? What about them? This is one of the questions of the human heart. It's one of the questions of the human heart. This can take a thousand different forms. I started to list out different ways in which this question can show itself, either where we actually say it out loud or we hear it in our hearts. And I had to cut myself off, but I'll share the ones that I wrote down here because I felt like I myself could have just written out a thousand of these that I personally have asked before. This idea of the, 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 uh, yeah, the idea of the question, what about him, what about her? So what about him? Why does he seem so much better at his job than me? Why does he have a job that seems fulfilling and fully aligned with his gifts? What about her? Why does it seem like she gets so much attention from guys and no one wants to ask me out? Or why is he so comfortable in social settings and, and is able to so quickly become the center of attention and always seems to know what to say? Or what about them? Why does their marriage seem so happy and vibrant? Or what about their kids? Why do, this, why do they seem so well-behaved and respectful? Or what about him? He openly rejects Christ or lives in such blatant, unrepentant immorality, and yet life seems to be going so great for him. Or why does the Christian life seem to come so easy, or to him, or to her? Why does it come so easy to them? And I struggle. I struggle to live out the daily walk with Christ. Or why does everyone else seem so much more emotionally stable than I am? I feel so up and down and everybody else seems so even keeled every time I talk to them. Or why do the sins that I struggle with seem so much more serious than everyone else's? Or when it comes to ministry, why does his ministry seem so much more fruitful or impactful than mine? What am I doing wrong? Or why does he seem so much further along in ministry than me when he is so many years younger than I am? Or why does she seem to have so much of a better grasp on Scripture than I do? I never seem to remember God's truth in moments of need. Or why does she seem to respond so much in so much uh, of a godlier way than me to similar circumstances and situations? Lord, why, why, why? What about him? What about her? What about them? And so we have this tendency, this temptation that Peter himself had when standing right in front of the resurrected physical Jesus we also have that same temptation in our hearts to evaluate our lot and circumstances in life, not by the presence of Jesus in those circumstances, but we evaluate our circumstances and physical bodies based on other people's realities. And what we end up doing is adopting and climbing these essentially worldly ladders of evaluation which lead to nowhere, and yet which we use to evaluate ourselves and others. These vertical ladders everywhere of comparison, right, with better than at the top and less than at the bottom. It could be physical appearance, academic accomplishment, career achievements, financial security, vacation destinations, area where a person lives, the size of their home, the type of their car, the behavior of their kids, the behavior of their spouse, the number of people who want to date you or not, the fruitfulness in ministry, your skill in ministry, the scope of your influence in ministry, on and on and on we could go. Every single one of those things I just listed are ladders of evaluation that we just find ourselves on. And here's what's 
so exhausting, especially exhausting about these ladders, is we can find ourselves in a certain season of life doing pretty good on one ladder. If it's a ladder of physical appearance and you're like, you know what, I'm actually, man, I've been in the gym a lot. I'm looking pretty good. I think I look, you know, better than most people that are around me right now. There's only a few people ahead of me, not many. But then you look around and you're like, oh, snap. I didn't realize that I'm also on this other ladder of career achievement. And I'm actually way towards the bottom and everybody else is way up on top. Or, oh, no, I'm on this other ladder over here of raising kids and, and being married or not married. And, Lord, I'm exhausted. There's ladders everywhere of evaluation and comparison. What about him? What about her? What about them? It's such a common temptation. And Jesus, because he's just so good at doing this, when Peter asked him the question, Lord, what about this man? What about that man? What about John? Jesus answers a question with his own question. And he says, what is that to you? What is that to you? Now, that can sound a little harsh. And I do think that Jesus meant it in a sobering way to Peter. Peter, what, what is that to you? But remember who it was that just asked that question. It wasn't this detached taskmaster that was saying, no, soldier, get in line. Follow your orders. No, it's a Jesus who had just shown them the scars in his hands and feet inside. The same Jesus who pursued Peter after he denied him three times and showed himself to him and restored him back to ministry. The same Jesus that pursues me and you and all of us who died for your sins and three days later rose from the dead so that all who put their faith in Christ and in his finished work can have new life in him, forgiveness of sins, can have meaning and purpose in whatever lot that God may give them to live out the call of the gospel in this earthly life. That's the Jesus who says, what is that to you? And if you are here tonight and have never put your faith in that Savior and trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, please, I beg you, make tonight the night of your salvation so that you can get off those ladders. Because what Jesus does is he takes the ladders and he just lays them flat. And he says, it's just a spectrum. It's a range in light. It's a lot that I've given you. To do what? To know me and make me known. To show the world this is the different knowing Jesus Christ makes in this lot, in this circumstance, in this physical body that I've given you. This is the difference the gospel makes. I am with you even until the end of the age. There is no lot in circumstance in life that blocks us from living out this beautiful call of the Great Commission. And Jesus lays those ladders flat. And so if God wants us to scrape by financially and impact two or three people instead of impact 200,000 people, what is that to you? Don't hear that in a harsh way. Feel freedom in that. Lift that burden off your shoulders and give it to Jesus. If he's called you to be Jer Jeremiah and I, in, in Isaiah where nobody listens to you or Peter and Paul where your handkerchiefs and, and shadows heal people, what is that to you? If you are Nehemiah or you're just one of the many names listed in Nehemiah who one of the faithful that helped him rebuild the wall with hardly any ink spilled to their name and yet here's Nehemiah, I get a whole book talking about all the things he got to do for the Lord. What is that to you? Be encouraged by that, brother and sister. And see, Peter here, as a point of application for us, Peter missed many things in this moment. But there's two things in particular that Peter missed. Two things that I wanted to point out as application for us. 
Number one, Peter missed that Jesus told him, you're going to make it. Peter, the next time that you face death, you will not deny me. You're going to make it to the end. Peter, you remember when you were asked to to claim association with me and three times you denied me? I just told you you're going to go to the cross. Why are you going to go to the cross? Because you're not going to deny me in the end. I will persevere your faith. Peter, you will make it. Whatever the lot is, whatever the circumstance is, Peter, trust me, I am strong enough to hold you in my grips until the end and to use your life for the good and glory of my name and the good of others. Trust me, you are going to make it to the end. Peter was transformed. He became a different man. And church history here tells us that Peter was crucified 30 years later, probably in Rome under Emperor Nero. And and maybe he was asked to be crucified upside down or, or maybe not. We don't really know. But either way, he made it. Not perfectly. Galatians 2, Paul had to call him out for withdrawing once again and looking out here horizontally. But Peter made it so that he could write the book of 1 and 2 Peter. 1 Peter in particular talks about sufferings that God's children were going through. So brothers and sisters, hear those words tonight. If you are in Christ, you are going to make it to the end. Whatever your lot, whatever your circumstance is, look at the grip of the Father that has held his children since the dawn of creation. He has brought his children through everything. He will not let you go as we look to him, as we lean on other brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for us. As we put ourselves under the teaching and truth of his word, the promises of scripture and pray, Holy Spirit, hold on to me. Help me believe that you will hold on to me as you did, Peter. The second thing that Peter missed, the most important, was the person of Jesus Christ himself standing right in front of Peter. Peter turned. He didn't look at the lot and circumstances of his life through Jesus, but he turned away from him and looked at John's. Lord, what's going to happen with him? And so he missed the resurrected Christ who pursued Peter and graciously and gently restored him back to ministry. And we are tempted in the same way, brothers and sisters, this same Jesus who pursues us when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he gave us new life in him and is preparing a place for us so glorious that Paul has the audacity, even for Paul to say, listen, what's coming in the next life is not even worth, it won't even be worth comparing the trials of this life to the glory that is to come. It's that Jesus who says, follow me. And so friends, when we're tempted to ask the question, what about him, what about her, what about them? Use that as a Jesus juke, a check engine light, flip it on its head and say, no, 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 what about him? What about Jesus? Let me pause for a moment and think about Jesus. When we're tempted to compare our lot in life to somebody else's, compare it to Jesus's lot in this earthly life instead. What about Jesus who was a carpenter in an obscure, unimportant town? When the Magi came and followed the star, they expected to find Jesus in a palace in Jerusalem. Instead, they found him in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus, the promised Messiah, was born into this world with little or no fanfare. And what about Jesus, who at the end of his life was rejected, despised, ignored, let alone? 
this lot that Jesus walked for me and for you and now is able to be a great high priest in the midst of whatever may come for us. What about him? What about her? What about Jesus? And it's this Jesus whose love for us takes supernatural strength to comprehend. That Jesus invites us in, calls us, and lovingly demands for us, follow me, you follow me. Don't worry about him and her when it comes to comparison, when it comes to evaluation. If only, if only I had just one more rung up on this ladder, Lord, it would be, it would be so much better, it would be so much easier. Just one more rung on one of these ladders, any one? Jesus says, no, 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 follow me. Look to me. And so we now, because of Christ, can fulfill what it was that we were made for. I can now actually love the Lord my God and be with him and know him and pour out my heart to him and please him. And we can also love people and bring glory to his name no matter what lot and circumstance in life we find ourselves in. And so when we're tempted to say, what about him, what about her? Two things that we've talked about already. Number one, no, okay, Lord, you can carry me through any circumstance in any situation. I know that you can do it because you've done it. Number two, Jesus, what about him? What about Jesus? Number three, what about him? What about her? What about them? Pray for them. Pray for the people that Satan puts in front of you to compare yourselves to and view them the way God does as his image bearers. That if they don't know Christ, I don't care what ladder they're on. They're on their way to eternal damnation, having to face the full wrath of God for the penalty of their sins. Pray for them. Lord Jesus, open their eyes in the midst of their lot and circumstances in life. Or if it's a brother or sister in Christ, whatever lot Jesus may have given them, pray for them. Are they wealthy and successful? The snares of success and wealth are too many to count. Lord Jesus, hold them fast until the end. Help them to use what you've given them for good. Or Lord Jesus, the brother or sister that finds himself in poverty or in difficult situations, just physical, racked with chronic pain and health. Lord Jesus, help them to, to use as a prompting to help them remember this is not their home. This is not their home. And Lord, you have called even their suffering now to be used for the good of your mission to see your name known and others come to faith in Christ for the good of his children and the glory of God's name. And so as we go, brothers and sisters, pray for each other. Use that temptation of the heart as a prompting to know you will make it if you're his. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our, of our faith and the circumstances he went through for us and then pray. Pray for those people that God brings to your mind. Let's go to him in prayer now. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you have called us into the storyline of this mission that you have given your church. Regardless of our lot and circumstances in life, Father, you can and will do good and be good in the midst of it. But Lord, it is hard. It is so hard to fix our eyes on you, to remember you, to not compare and evaluate ourselves based on others. Lord, help us to see where those ladders are in our lives. Lord, help us to, to know that you have already laid those ladders down flat. Now help us to live in that reality and say, Lord, this is what you've given me to live out the call of the gospel, to show the world this is the difference that you make in a person's life when they're in this situation. And Lord, give us the strength to pray for those who we find ourselves tempted to compare each other to.
We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.